The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CDC headquarters in Atlanta, and here's your top five at five. Breakthroughs, mask mandates, and boosters. COVID again has Americans and investors on edge as the U.S. hits its highest caseload in more than a year. In D.C., Senate Democrats threatening to delay a summer recess as the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill now hangs in the balance. A big gaming crackdown. Beijing taking another swing at the red-hot sector, bringing a number of stocks down with it. No love for Bitcoin. New data showing more investors are taking cash out of the crypto, just as regulators look to approve or deny Wall Street's first official crypto ETF. And round two for Amazon in its fight against unionization in Alabama. We'll tell you all about it on this Tuesday, August 3rd, because this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on this Tuesday. There is so much to do, and as always, we've got a great guest lineup for you ahead of all of it. Here's how things look. And despite all these COVID headlines, stock futures, they are once again higher. Now, this comes after a late-day sell-off yesterday that did erase most of the gains for the major averages. A lot of stocks did rise, but the major averages pretty much got wiped out. Still, we are seeing Dow futures up 135 and NASDAQ futures up two-tenths of 1%. Before that, though, the Dow did cross through another all-time high before ending Monday in the red. So a new high just ended lower. Guess what else is high? Bonds, treasuries, they keep getting a bid, but bond yields, they are still under 1.2%. Wow. And oil coming off its best day in nearly a month. It is back above $71 a barrel. And by the way, one of your guests coming up says there is one oil stock she loves right now. And we will name names in just a bit. More on all that ahead. But let's now keep the worldwide and worldwide exchange because we've got a big day shaping up in the UK with a number of big stocks on the move there. Let's get that and the headlines. Jumana Bersetti standing by once again in London. Good morning, Jumana. Good morning, Brian. That's right. Another positive day for European equities here. Almost every single one of the majors is trading in positive territory. Stock 600 at a new record high. You were talking about record highs in the U.S. indices. We also are getting them in Europe as well. So right now we've had about 60% of companies report beats uh, for the quarter. So it has been pretty solid, as we spoke about yesterday. You can see FTSE 100 up about three-tenths of a percentage point in early trades. Kekahont in France, the leader here, up eight-tenths. And then Germany up about 10 basis points. But I want to bring you three of the uh, major stocks that we've been looking at this morning, some good performers, starting with energy. I know that's close to your heart, Brian. BP shares up three-and-a-half percentage points. Uh, they've announced that they will increase their dividend by 4% and scale up shares 
share buybacks after delivering a better-than-expected profit of $2.8 billion in the second quarter. So quite a positive reaction there. Another stock we're looking at, Stellantis Auto Company, has raised their full-year profit margin target after reporting a beat on first-half earnings. The world's fourth-largest automaker now expects a 2021 operating profit margin of around 10%. So another very positive price action in that stock. And then finally, moving to the banking space, Societe Generale has raised its full-year guidance after returning to profit in the second quarter. The French lender saw net profit recover to 1.4 billion euros from a loss of 1.3 billion a year earlier due to the impact of bad loan provisions. So this has been one of the best performing stocks today in Europe. Societe Generale at 5.4% and a leader in the Cacajon, the French index. So uh, another positive day for earnings, Brian. I'll hand it back to you. You had a big move for one of the biggest French banks. Wow, you go, sock gen. Jumana Brissetti, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, also new this morning, the hits just keep on coming out of China. This time, it is the country's state media lashing out at the video game companies, likening it to an addictive drug for kids. Stocks at the center of the crackdown, like Tencent, Netties, and more, they are sinking on the heels of that, down 3 4 and even 7%. Yunus Yun is covering the story from Beijing. She joins us now. Yunus, what is the government saying and what is the government doing around video games? Well, so far, the government had said, hasn't said anything about this particular situation. However, a journal that's linked to the state news agency, Xinhua, described online gaming in very heated language as uh, opium of the mind for children. It also singled out Tencent for its popular title, Honor of Kings, and Tencent derives a third of its revenues from gaming. So the fact that this language was so harsh, that there was a call for stricter controls of the of the gaming industry was enough to really slam the stock and also raise a lot of speculation that this industry and the company could be another target now for Beijing. Uh, the government has targeted gaming in the past, uh, but just this year, President Xi had described video game addiction as a mental health concern for children in the same speech where he criticized after-school tutoring, calling it a social problem. And we know how that all went down. So it looks as though Beijing is a little more sensitive um, today about this situation. Uh, we saw that that report just hours later was deleted. Uh, but, uh, Brian, I think that Tencent isn't taking any chances. They just announced that they're going to have new curbs um, for miners to get access to that particular flagship game. Wow. So, really, they're calling it out. They're naming names. But there hasn't been any kind of a barricade or a blockade or, or like, just stopping games right now. They're still playable. They're still out there, just kind of with a little government warning nudge. Yeah, but that government warning nudge has been um, coming to the industry for quite some time. And and, I mean, in 2008, it was actually diagnosed as a clinical disorder if you had Internet addiction. So so this battle between the industry and the government has been a long time coming. Yunishun in Beijing, we're watching some big names there, a lot of which, by the way, are in some big ETFs that we trade here, not just. Chinese video game companies, but just big names and things like the K-Web and everything like that. Unishun, thank you very much. All right, let's get back down to the markets, your money, and 
Some new comments from Federal Reserve Board Governor Christopher Waller. Speaking with CNBC late yesterday, Waller saying when it comes to tapering, reducing bond buying or selling bonds, the central bank could begin to roll the program back as early as October if employment gains hold. If the jobs reports come in, as I think they're going to in the next two reports, then in my view, with tapering, we should go early and go fast uh, in order to make sure we're in position to raise rates in 2022 if we have to. I'm not saying we would, but if we wanted to, we need to have some policy space by the end of the year. All right. Joining us now with reaction to that to talk about the markets and maybe a little bit about healthcare is Ally Invest Chief Investment Strategist and CNBC contributor, Lindsay Bell. Lindsay, is it all about the taper and the timing of the taper and a potential tantrum? And I can't do any more alliteration. <laughs> yeah, Brian, um, I, I do think one of the biggest risks for the market at this point in time is Fed policy. Of course, investors um, have had a bit of anxiety about this all year long, and I think that's going to continue until we get a lot more clarity. Oh, and by the way, we have Jackson Hole, the Jackson Hole Summit in, in this month. So I think you'll, you'll see some volatility and market moves around that. So we'll, we'll get a little more clarity around what the tapering situation is going to be. But right now, I think the market's really positioned for the tapering not to come until early next year. Of course, the the thought process is that they'll signal that going into the end of the year. Um, but I think that the, the, the conversation that we heard yesterday that you just recapped uh, kind of shocked markets a little bit, which is why you saw the turndown at the end of the day. But hey, today we're back in the green so far. Yeah, I mean, but this is August, right, Lindsay? I mean, that's kind of the point. Little headlines can have big hits because volumes are down, liquidity is down, maybe investor attention is down, right? I mean, this is what happens when people say, hey, watch out about August because things can get more volatile than normal. Absolutely. August is the third worst performing month in the S&P 500 on a historical basis. So this is par for the course. You usually see increased levels of volatility. People are going on vacation. You got to imagine the demand to get out and go on vacation and get away from your computer screen and the stock market as popular as it has been. The demand to get away is even higher, which means lower volumes, which means um, bigger reactions to any sort of news, um, especially negative news. So that's something we're going to watch for for the month of August, but it's also part of the playbook um, for the summer months where you don't really see the market do much over the summer months. So we had a great July, right? Or a pretty decent July. August could be a little more choppy and September also is usually the worst performing month of the year. So I think net net at the end of the, the, the third quarter, we could just be flat for the year and we, can, we have things to look forward to in the fourth quarter. Once we get past a lot of this uncertainty, I think the bond market though, Brian, to bring us back to where we started, it is spooking investors because we've seen such a sharp downdraft yeah. in bond yields. Um, it, it was the biggest move in in July, 24 basis points since March of 2020. So that just wow. the magnitude of that move can be shocking to investors. And, and by the way, back in March of this year, we were at 1.74 on the 10 year. Um, so it has been a big move. The question is, uh, is growth slowing or is inflation rising? And it's been a push and pull, a tug of war between the two. Then, very, yeah, minor, it's called looking pretty good. Very quickly, Lindsay, why do you see value in many of the big name pharmaceutical or healthcare stocks. 
Well, I think the healthcare sector in general ha has shifted quite a bit, and a lot of investors haven't realized it's become a little more growth-oriented with, with some of the biotech and the um, equipment services companies that, that are now in the index. It's, uh, it, it's definitely expanded into that space, that growthier space. Pharmaceutical is no longer the, um, the majority of, of, the, uh, of the sector. And so I think it just has more opportunity to see earnings uh, growth improve over time. Uh, expectations are weak, and you still see valuations um, at 17.8 times below that of the index. Um, yeah. It's one area of what we've been touting all summer. Lindsay Bell kicking off the show for us on a Tuesday. Looking at healthcare, Lindsay. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. All right. When we come back, a big week shaping up for big solar and your mystery chart of the morning revealed. Plus, new headaches for retailers and back to school sales. Former Hudson's Bay and Toys R Us CEO Jerry Storch is here to weigh in. And later on, looking like another rough morning for crypto as regulators weather. Way weathered a green light, Wall Street's first Bitcoin ETF. Ahead of that, Bitcoin down a little bit, Ethereum down 4.5%, 24.81. Stock futures up, though. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers of the morning, this time with a bonus for stock stories of the morning. Don't say we haven't done anything for you lately. You get a bonus fourth stock. Good morning. First up, Translate Bio. Sanofi striking a deal to buy the MNRA specialist for $3.2 billion. Sanofi says the deal will accelerate work already underway to translate to develop mRNA vaccines for COVID-19, as well as the seasonal flu or other infectious diseases. The offer of 38 a share, a 38% premium to yesterday's close. Stock number two, Take-Two Interactive. The video game maker's first quarter results beating forecasts, but the company expects gamer participation, i.e. the number of people playing games, to moderate from pandemic levels as people go back to school and maybe go back to work. Stock number three, SolarEdge Tech. It posted better-than-expected second quarter results. And issuing upbeat third quarter guidance, shares are jumping in extended trading, but are still down about 10% this year. And stock number four, Simon Property Group. And this is a biggie. Get this. The massive mall owner says that sales at its malls and outlet centers bounce back to pre-pandemic levels in June and are up 80% from a year ago. The lesson, never ever bet against the American shopper. All right, which is a perfect segue into your next guest, because let's talk back to school shopping 
because so many kids missed a year or more of in-person school. Demand expected to be off the charts. The National Retail Federation projecting total spending to reach an all-time high, $37 billion. Back to college spending expected to hit a record $71 billion. Let's talk more now about this with Jerry Storch. He is founder and CEO of Storch Advisors, former Target Vice Chairman, Toys R Us Chairman and CEO. Jerry, it's great to have you back on. First off, I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't believe you are as well. We're seeing cases on the rise. First thing is, do you think we're going to have a back-to-school shopping season? Uh, Before last week's CDC announcement, uh, almost everyone thought this was going to be the best back-to-school in a generation. And frankly, I don't think it's going to change from that. I think it's going to be up double digits. It's going to be huge. Uh, You know, kids are going back to school. Most people agree that it's important they go back to school, that the risks uh, are outweighed by the benefits of having to go back to school. And frankly, the the clothes from two years ago simply don't fit. And meanwhile, the parents have money. Uh, There's additional money for the federal government. They've just provided recently for parents with kids. And the parents have to go back to work. So you have a double witching hour, back to school and back to work at the same time. Apparel, which has been weak, frankly, for a decade, is going to be very strong during this period as people go back to work and back to school. So I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be excellent. And it may not just be the volumes, Jerry. We talk about dollars, but that, of course, includes the costs. And if you walk through the malls, you look at the prices and they are up because for years, retailers simply had too much inventory. They constantly had to discount to move things off the shelf. The inventory has been cleared out. They've gotten smarter. Oh, by the way, massive supply chain bottlenecks at the ports are keeping inventories a little bit below levels. And let's not forget, and I'm trying to be very delicate here, a lot of people's body shapes have changed in the last year. Well, look, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, one of the secrets of retailing is that retailers actually do great in an inflationary environment. As long as it's not so extreme that everybody runs out of money from really double-digit type inflation, Moderate inflation is great for retailers because they can raise prices faster than the costs go up. That's what happens. You know, certain costs are fixed, like rent. You were talking about Simon earlier. They're just trying to fill the malls right now. So their, their rent certainly isn't going up as fast as, as, uh, as retailers can raise prices. And same thing with wages. They're going up, but not as fast as prices can go up. So generally, retailers do very, very well in the bottom line during this period. As you point out, the shortages that exist will manifest themselves yeah. more in higher prices than anything else, and retailers will be very profitable this season. You, you heard that stat about Simon Property Groups. I mean, I had made an anecdote, I don't know, about a month and a half ago on this show where I said I tried to go shopping at a mall, literally in New Jersey. I couldn't find a spot. I just drove away. I was like, the mall's packed. It's full. I'm out of here. I could have found a spot like a mile away, but I was lazy. I mean, are you shocked at this aggressive return to stores, or is this the American consumer in action by the way, largely with a lot of money in their pockets, according to stats. You said earlier, if someone tries to bet against the American consumer, I'm going to take the other side of that trade every time. What was really remarkable is if you go back a year ago, we were in the middle of the pandemic and sales were doing pretty darn well. Now, with a reopening going on, people are out there in droves. And this is about the busiest it's been in a long time. If you look at the two-year stack, sales are actually up double digit in many categories. Apparel's been the laggard, and now that's finally going to change. Uh, you're going to see big winners with Walmart, Target, Costco doing well, Dollar General, TJ Maxx on the value side, and Amazon. I don't understand people's reaction to Amazon's earnings last quarter because I thought they were great. Keep in mind, they were up against 
the pandemic last year. So they still grew double digits. I think they're doing fine. So they're going to keep doing great. Department stores are the one to watch. Department stores are apparel stores. This is their first chance or best chance in a long time to reverse that decades-long decline in apparel I've been talking about. But don't be fooled. Just because they can do it this year when all boats are rising doesn't mean they're going to be able to do it for a long time. They need to change their business models much farther, much faster than any of the department stores are doing based on what I've seen so far. So watch out. They're going to look great for a while. They're going to brag about it. They're going to say, oh, we fixed it. We fixed it. But you know what? No one I know is talking about. I just can't wait to go shopping at department stores again. We'll find out. Listen, I feel like it's the M&M market. You know, the rapper, they're going to have one shot and that's it. And they're going to get one shot to get it right as we hopefully come out of this. Jerry, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Great insight. We'll see you again. Take care. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. Still on deck with cleanliness still on everybody's minds, thankfully. Amazon taking personal hygiene to the next level. We'll tell you what Amazon is doing with soap. Yes, Soap. That's our trending stories. Soap. Dow futures up 132. I'm gonna wash my hands. Be back right after this. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Philip Mena. Here are your headlines. Two more Washington, D.C. police officers who responded to the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol have died by suicide. Metro police say Officer Gunther Hashida was found dead at his home on Thursday, and Officer Kyle DeFreetag was found dead July 10th. That brings to four the number of officers who have taken their own lives since the January 6th insurrection. President Biden is urging state and local governments to adopt policies that would allow renters to avoid evictions and stay in their homes. This after Congress failed to extend a federal moratorium on evictions that was enacted early in the pandemic. Millions of Americans are now at risk of being evicted. And finally, Simone Biles is back on the beam. Just moments ago, the four-time Olympic gold medalist competed in the women's balance beam final alongside teammate Suni Lee. And she did a fantastic job. Right now, she is in second place with a score of 14.0. Biles' return return comes after she withdrew from several team and individual events over the past week to focus on her mental health. So, Brian, whatever the result here is, it's an impressive uh, accomplishment to just to see her get back out there on the beam and compete. Yeah, it certainly is. And best to her as well. Certainly the world is watching and... Uh... Also thinking about uh, the families of those, those fallen officers. Philomena, yeah. thank you very much. Okay. <sighs> A dangerous TikTok trend, Amazon's smart soap, and Jeopardy's newest guest host. Let's bring back Christina Parts with today's top trending stories. Christina, what do you have for us? Uh, let's start with Amazon since you teased that, and I think you went to go wash your hands, right? So Amazon has unveiled its own branded smart soap dispenser to make sure you wash your hands correctly. That means, Brian, you too. The $55 Alexa-compatible dispenser has a light on the top of it that slowly counts down 20 seconds, which, in case you can't do it, is uh, recommended by the CDC for 
for the minimum for hand washing. Amazon, though, isn't the first to try and perfect hand washing. The Apple Watch, for example, can detect when you start washing your hands and will automatically start a countdown timer. And there is a new and potentially dangerous TikTok trend making the rounds. And it's not a funny dance or lip sync video. I'm going to try this frozen honey thing. Apparently it's supposed to be super satisfying. Let's do it. Okay, it's just frozen honey and you have to squeeze it out. Oh, that looks so cool. Oh! Oh my god. I don't know what to say right now, but that's right. Teens on TikTok are freezing water bottles full of honey and eating them on camera. The hashtag frozen honey has been viewed nearly 600 million times and the hashtag frozen honey challenge more than 80 million times. It's unclear where exactly the trend originated, but medical experts tell NBC News honey is great in small amounts and maybe in my tea, but eating an entire 16 ounce water bottle full of it may lead to a sugar overload and could lead to upset stomachs cramping, bloating, and other adverse effects. I guess we're happy it's not Tide Pods. And last night, CNBC's own David Faber graced the bright lights of Jeopardy, kicking off his week-long guest hosting gig to rave reviews on Twitter. Users posting clips from the show, some not even knowing who David is, but all agreeing he's so far one of the best guest hosts yet and didn't seem to suffer from the first-day jitters. Ryan? Honey? Soap and David yeah, Faber. Awesome for David, by the way. Spectacularly jealous of that. He was a champion, remember, on Celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah, he, he won 50000 He won years ago. So, 2012. Yeah, pretty good. By the way, don't... What is this TikTok stuff? All these algorithms? I mean, first off, it seems like you could choke. I mean, unless... If you're taking giant bites of a near-solid product, don't do that. Uh, what is in the world is happening? I don't know, which is why uh, my reaction to, to going through that story. Uh, the positive, it's not Tide Pods. I, we shouldn't right? even show it. Like, now I know, it's like, I would. Yeah, I was watching like, that even... video. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's what's next. It's like the how many sticks of bubble gum can you put in your mouth at the same time or challenge. On, I mean, come on. That's All right, better. Just, yeah, better one. Yeah, and the pillow vanished in the morning. Christina, thank you very much. All right. <sighs> Ahead, decision day for the SEC. No, it's not about college football in Texas. It's about America's first Bitcoin ETF. Dow features up 136. We're back right after that. Investors once again shaking off new COVID concerns. Stock futures, they are higher as corporate earnings do something they may have never done before. You have to hear it to believe it. The COVID caseload, meantime, hitting its highest level since last summer, but there is some good news as we hit a big milestone in the vaccination race. And senators dig into the infrastructure bill as Democrats look to fast track the measure just days before lawmakers are set to leave town. But will infighting in the House scuttle the deal before it even begins? It is Tuesday, August 3rd, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. Thanks for being with us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to it. Here's how your money and investments look as we are just a little over halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Futures, they are, like yesterday, solidly in the green. Now, we were up about this much yesterday, and we had a late-day sell-off, erasing most of the gains for the major averages. Still, 
We did hit a new high on the Dow before that occurred. We are seeing Dow futures and NASDAQ futures up about two-tenths of 1%. So markets, again, in the green. But we'll get more on that in a bit. Now to the latest on continued concerns surrounding the pandemic. The CDC revealing the seven-day average of daily COVID cases in America has hit a higher level than the peak of last summer. It says that new cases hit nearly 73,000 on Friday. That is higher than the peak of last summer. But again, context is key, and there are two big things to keep in mind. Remember, testing last year was still expensive and scarce, so it's hard to know the exact comparisons. And while that case number, while elevated and on the rise, is still 65% below the winter peak. Remember, over the winter, we averaged over 200,000 cases a day for months. Again, not minimizing it, but it's not the highest in a year. It's the highest since last summer, which was a very different time. All right, among those new cases, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who's tested positive for COVID despite being vaccinated. Senator says he started to feel sick Saturday after attending a bipartisan gathering at Democratic Senator Joe Manchin's home. Meantime, Louisiana and seven San Francisco Bay Area counties have reinstated indoor mask requirements to force people to wear masks inside. In New York City and New Jersey, officials are strongly recommending, but not requiring, people to wear masks indoors. Facebook taking similar steps, announcing that beginning today, all employees in its American offices will be required to wear a mask. But there is some good news in all of this. Vaccinations have popped recently, and they are on the uptrend. And with that recent uptick, a full 70% of American adults have now had at least one shot of the vaccine. 80% of the elderly, the most vulnerable group, are fully vaccinated. So a little bit of good news in all those headlines. All right, let's get more now on some of your other top stories of the morning, including more of the potential trillion-dollar infrastructure and spending bill. Christina is back with those headlines. Christina. Happy Infrastructure Week. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is looking to fast-track consideration of that bipartisan infrastructure package. Schumer is promising the Democrats will work with Republican colleagues to put together amendments for consideration as soon as this week. But Republicans are calling for time to digest the 2,702-page bill. The Senate overwhelmingly approved two non-controversial amendments tied to the legislation late yesterday evening. Schumer says he wants voting wrapped up before lawmakers leave for their August recess next week. And Amazon warehouse workers in Alabama may get another chance to vote on whether to unionize. According to the union that looked to represent those workers, a federal labor official has found the company's tactics around that initial vote in April tainted the results sufficiently and that another election should take place. Amazon is expected to challenge the claim and recommendation. And the crypto sector seeing outflows for the fourth week in a row. This according to data from digital asset manager CoinShares, which says outflows hit $19.5 million in the week ending Friday, the bulk of which came from Bitcoin and related products. CoinShares ad, adds that other crypto and digital assets, such as Ripple and Polkadot, did show minor inflows during that period. Ryan? All right, Christina, thank you very much. Well, in the meantime, as money flows out of many of the cryptos, today is decision day when it comes to greenlighting Wall Street's first official Bitcoin ETF, the proposed Vanek Bitcoin Trust Bitcoin ETF. Now, the outcome, far from certain, 
As SEC Chairman Gary Gensler says, he has no timetable for a Bitcoin ETF just yet. Quote, while I'm neutral on the technology, even intrigued, I spent three years teaching it, leaning into it. I'm not neutral about investor protection. Read into that word salad how you will. Joining us now is Head of Market Insights at Genesis, Noel Atchison, also a former managing director of research at Coindesk. Noel, good morning. I mean, uh, it's hey, sports betting is legal in many states now. Are you handicapping the odds that this gets done? Good morning, Brian. Great to be with you. It's very unlikely it's going to get done. Let's let's be honest. One thing that we're noticing in the crypto industry, and one of the reasons behind some of the price uncertainty we're seeing recently, is the regulatory noise. Regulatory attention has been increasing for the past couple of years now, but recently it really seems to have kicked up a notch in terms of volume. And in fact, Gary Gensler is speaking today at the Aspen Institute. It'll be interesting to see what he says. He will be specifically addressing cryptocurrencies and national security. He has said, as you imply, Brian that uh, he doesn't, he, he's not against the idea of a Bitcoin ETF, but he wants to protect the investors. And it's going to be very hard to do that until there is regulatory clarity around Bitcoin, what even it is, its limitations, and especially around the infrastructure that helps Bitcoin move. This is not a small decision, is it, Noel? I mean, the, once you approve a product like this, this is Wall Street. There'll be 50 more products like that within a year, and you will never put the genie back into the bottle. Maybe that's a good thing, but the point is, once you do it, you're setting off a wave. They have got to take their time to make sure they get it right, do they not? They do. It's a really hard decision, though, to be honest, Baron, because we've seen the success of Bitcoin ETFs across the border in Canada, and it's not impossible for U.S. investors to invest in those. So the longer the U.S. takes to approve a Bitcoin ETF, the more it is going to see outflow of funds or Bitcoin investors who want to get involved, finding other perhaps less secure ways to do so. So to protect investors, in my opinion, the Bitcoin ETF is going to be one of the best ways to do so. Investors are investing in Bitcoin, both yeah. retail and institutional, and um, better to have it in a regulated instrument that the SEC can monitor. And on, on the outflows that you commented, that you probably commented on earlier, they are limited to a very uh, small set of listed products, listed mainly in Europe as well. So the fact that Bitcoin and yeah. other assets are leaving those does not mean that they're leaving the industry. It means that they're finding other ways. Two years ago, I did a fireside chat down at uh, my alma mater with uh, Hester Peirce, who is an SEC commissioner who's in favor of a Bitcoin ETF. So the odds are not zero. If we get the surprise victory for the ETF, does that mean that crypto prices skyrocket? I think so, Brian. I really do. The odds are definitely not zero. And in fact, they're 100% certain that we will one day have a Bitcoin ETF. Timing is the issue. Uh, yes, it will, in, it will encourage a huge inflow from retail investors who've been waiting to be able to buy Bitcoin through their brokers. And it's not just the retail investors that are going to be driving some of the movement there. A lot of the institutions that have been waiting on the sidelines for greater regulatory clarity will also be trying to ride the narrative. Noel Atchison of Genesis. Noel, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. A big topic. It means a lot to crypto investors. So thank you. It does. Thank you for talking about it, Brian. Uh, you're very welcome. All right. It's a big deal. All right. Coming up, another big deal. The continued uphill battle that many black women face in getting equal pay. What can be done to help close that gap? We've got a CNBC special report with Sharon Epperson on just that. Up next. Well, welcome back. Well, today is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. It marks the extra 
214 days that black women must work to catch up with what white non-Hispanic men made in pay last year. Sharon Epperson joining us now with more on what can be done to narrow this disparity. Sharon, it's good to have you on this morning. Good to be with you, Brian. You know, research shows that black women face a persistent pay gap, including in jobs that have been essential during the pandemic. Here's the stark data. On average, black women are paid only 63 cents for every dollar paid to a non-Hispanic white man. This amounts to a median wage gap of over $2,000 a month, more than $24,000 a year, and nearly $1 million over the course of a 40-year career for a full-time working black woman versus white man. That's according to the National Women's Law Center. Jasmine Tucker is the director of research there. I've looked at this in a lot of different ways. I've cut it by education. I've cut it by um, age. I've cut it by job. And it doesn't go away. You know, it gets a little bigger. It gets a little smaller. But the wage gap is there. Um, There's a wage gap in 94% of occupations. And even in high-paid occupations, in the same profession, the disparity persists, including among doctors on the front lines fighting COVID. White male physicians and surgeons make about $63 an hour, while black women in these positions make less than $47 an hour, according to the Economic Policy Institute. And that gap can potentially result in millions of dollars of lost wages in a black female physician's lifetime. Research shows student loan debt and caregiving duties, particularly for single black women, are among the factors that can exacerbate the overall gender and racial wealth gap. So what's the best way to close the divide? Many experts agree that unless more black women are in top leadership positions with decision-making power, wage and wealth gaps will continue, Brian. All right, so let's talk more about that, obviously. So, yeah, increasing the number of black female leaders is key. I mean, you you rise up the ranks, you make more money, you close that gap. Aside from that, which is pretty obvious, what else can be done, Sharon? Well, some experts say that since black and Latino women are disproportionately in low paid jobs, raising the minimum wage would help significantly. Others say unions often create worker protections and better wages, too. And we've also reported about how some companies are helping workers pay back student loan debt. Employers can make tax free contributions of up to five thousand two hundred fifty dollars a year to their employee student debt. That's through 2025. And that can help many employees, including black women who are among the hardest hit by student loan debt. Okay, let's talk about child care, because this is a big deal. I mean, it's not hard to do the basic math. If you make under X dollars a year after taxes and after child care costs, you basically bring home zero. So you're thinking, I'm working to bring home zero dollars because all the money is going to daycare. And by the way, now my kid is in daycare all day long. What about things like subsidizing child care? Just helping make sure that moms can go to work and have a place, a safe place to keep their kid. That's huge. It's huge because look at the pay gap for mothers. Mothers who work full time earn 75 cents for every dollar paid to fathers. Single mothers bring in just 54 cents for every dollar earned by married men. And black moms are paid just 52 cents on the dollar. So a recent study found that if high quality, affordable child care were universally available, the result would be a net increase in income of more than $100,000 for the average black mother over her lifetime. 
Sharon, you know our area. I mean, I think we, I did the math years ago, and my wife and I decided, like, if you make under forty grand, it's basically you're breaking even or losing money with, with childcare costs. That's a huge deal. Childcare is a huge deal. It's so very important. And you know, Brian, another factor that many people point to is the pay discrimination based on salary history. If you're in a job where you are underpaid or paid yeah. less than your peer and you go to the next job and that continues and you go to the next employer and they base it on what you were paid before, it's just a never ending cycle. So doing away with looking at salary history, looking at what the potential is for the worker or what the worker should have been paid in that previous yeah. job is very key to close closing that gap as well. Years ago, I was at General Mills headquarters in, in Minneapolis, and they had awesome child care on site. And I thought, why don't more companies do this? Basically have the child care there so the working moms or the working dads can go down and see their kids and also take them to them from work. It seemed genius. More companies should do it. Important topic. Sharon Epperson, love having you on this morning. Sharon, have a great day. You too, Brian. Thank you. All right, very welcome. Closing that gap. Come on, corporate America, step it up. All right, on deck. Your morning RBI and why this blockbuster earnings season may actually be more blockbusterier. Is that a word? Than you think. Plus, Jenny Harrington laying out the stocks flying high on her radar. And a reminder, if you haven't already, please follow our podcast on all the podcasting platforms. Apparently, it's got like a 4.9 rating. Thanks, Mom. We're back after this. Time now for your morning RBI and maybe one big reason why stocks continue to run hot because corporate earnings have been off the charts hot. That is not TV hyperbole. Well, kind of is, but earnings have actually never been hotter. Here's why we say that. According to JP Morgan, 88% of S&P 500 companies have beaten estimates. That is way above average going back more than a decade. And it's not just the number beating. It is how much they are beating by. Look at this chart. Deutsche Bank notes that companies' earnings are coming in 16% above the consensus forecast. The 15-year average is just a 5% beat. So earnings are absolutely crushing it. And I know, I know, many of you are thinking right now, well, it's only because the analysts botched the estimates. Not really. Most earnings estimates had already been raised substantially over the quarter. So these beats are on already increased Numbers, the bottom line, this is one of, if not the most surprising corporate earnings environments that we have ever seen and may, may justify even higher stock prices if investors can stomach higher valuations. Random, but interesting. So let's pick it up right there and dive more into this with our friend Jenny Harrington, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management, CNBC contributor, what do you make of those numbers? Is that TV hyperbole? Maybe a little. Um, I think the thing is, you're right. I don't think it's the analyst botched estimates, but at the same time, we're coming off of a period where there was absolutely no clarity, right? So in a normal times, in pre-pandemic times, and then hopefully again in post-pandemic times, when you're estimating, you can say, well, 2016 was this, 2017 was that, 2018 was the following. And you have really solid bases to estimate 
to estimate off of, but that's not the case. So what we're estimating off of right now is a completely disrupted, murky something from last year. So I get it. And I think that's why we're not seeing crazy upside off of big earnings surprises because who knows what they were really going to be. You know, the, the expectations are just, yeah. I think, to get back to normal, not, not really for um, raw, raw growth and a repeat of the crazy, huge returns that we were able to have coming off of this time last year. Well, in part because we don't know the visibility on the economy. Now, we hear a lot about the COVID numbers, and I want to make it clear to our audience, the majority of the national numbers are skewed by just three states, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Florida. So look into your states, but mass mandates are coming back. There's a lot of confusion about whether or not there'll be new shutdowns in the fall, so it's hard to model. It's super hard to model, although it's a heck of a lot easier to model this year than it, than it was last year. And so it's been interesting listening to the earnings calls. I think about two-thirds of my portfolio, maybe a little bit more at this point, have reported. And it's back to normal. In fact, that was the theme of my quarterly client conference call a couple weeks ago, is that, that everything's back to normal. So it's hard to model, but it's nothing like hard to model last year. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing companies give realistic estimates for the next year. And by the way, oh, here's a fun one. Um, Apple, right? Apple had huge earnings, but actually their future growth is more in the 3% range next year and the 5% range the following year. Who knows if that comes to pass or not, but those are reasonable earnings growth expectations going forward. And that's what we're seeing. It's just, it's hard, Brian, but it's nothing like last year. It's a, it's truly a return to normal, yeah. both in the tone of the conference calls yeah, with, cli- with corporations as well as with clients. Yeah, and, and nobody that I've heard so far thinks you can shut down. I mean, let's go into a couple of names. On Friday, I don't know if you saw it. I'm not offended if you didn't. was out at Chevron's headquarters in San Ramon, California. For a long form interview, by the way, the interview up on CBC.com, about 22 minutes in total. Tried to get into a lot of things. Chevron, a name you like. I mean, they reinstituted a buyback, their free cash flow is off the charts. Right. Right. And that's another one where, I mean, think about what we, where we stood last year. Where we stood last year is we'd gone from, what was it, $60 oil to 26 to negative oil prices had rallied back up a little bit. Where we've gone this year is we've gone from about $40, $40 oil to 50 to 60 to 70 We've been really hovering in the $73 range. So Chevron's able to predict. They're able to see what their free cash flow will be. They've reined in CapEx for a long time, so now they actually are really cash flow positive, generative, and can start to pay that back to shareholders in a really meaningful way. But that's a really perfect example of where Clarity's actually returning. So the earnings call can be meaningful the way it was. Um, and here you have a stock that's trading at 14 times earnings and has a 5.3% dividend yield. In a market that's kind of stretched and kind of sketchy in some ways, this is a company yeah. that I'm very comfortable sitting tight in. And by the way, gasoline demand, at least right now, has been off the charts. Uh, it's going to be the year of the traffic jam. I, by the way, I drove from Vegas to San Francisco, by the way, in an electric car, which we hear more on coming up. Uh, but gasoline demand right now is off the charts. Jenny Harrington, always one of our favorites. Jenny, have a great day. Thanks for coming on. You too. Thanks, Brian. All right. You're very welcome. And with that, we wrap it up for another day here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm taking tomorrow off. I'll see you Thursday morning. Squawk of the gang picking up the coverage with Dow Futures up 155. Have an awesome day. See you soon. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.